The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I demand that you set us free, Queen Lara. We are on an official mission from the planet Earth. Ha! Planet Earth? Is that what you call that pitiful ball hanging in the sky? Yeah, you wouldn't say that if you saw Jane Russell, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Silence, swine. Or you will suffer the same fate as your friend. I intend to file a protest in the death of Blackie. He dared to enter the sacred temple and steal the precious moonstones. But feeding him to giant spiders without the benefit of counsel is not the way we do things in America. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. It's Thursday, January 14th, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on WBCQ 5.110 MHz. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Our outrageous opener of the day comes from the comedy and sci-fi spoof Amazon Women on the Moon, from which we'll borrow a few other smiles later on in our show today. Now, it should be obvious that that was all about Bill Cosby, because, of course, quote, feeding him to giant spiders without the benefit of counsel is exactly what many Americans, and Canadians, I'm sure, and people from all around the world, have been doing to comedian and actor Bill Cosby over the past two years or so. Bill Cosby has been fed to the lions in the court of public opinion, an arena in which there's no possible avenue of defense. Welcome to our show today. Our next chapter in the ongoing Cosby saga will begin in the second half of the show, and if you've never heard our past chapters leading up to where we are today, you may be quite shocked by what you're going to hear. But you can check all of this out online, and remember, you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, Hear us on WBCQ 5.110 MHz and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. Robert, what's on tap today? Well, Bob, I, I think on Sunday everybody was shocked to hear that the world lost a great man. Uh, he was a man who inspired many and often brought a smile to the faces of those who heard his words. I'm speaking, of course, of Canadian journalist, poet, and author George Jonas who, unfortunately, had the bad manners to die on the same day as David Bowie. Perhaps I'll get a chance to talk about the great work of David Bowie on another show. But today is the show I'd like to remember George Jonas by reading from a couple of his latest articles published in the National Post. There once was a time when the Post was worth my subscription, and I did subscribe to it. That time was when it was owned by Conrad Black, and perhaps even a couple of years after Black's ownership. Black, who coincidentally ended up marrying George Jonas's former wife, Barbara Emile, another great writer to the Post, by the way. Yep, and yep. you know if you've listened to the show in the past, uh, I'm speaking to the listeners out there, not you, Bob, because I know that you listened to the show in the past. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, if you, for our listeners, uh, if you've heard me in the past, I've, I've derided so many journalists, especially in Canada, for their uh, opinions, for their shoddy journalism, for their gonzo journalism. Um, But 
every now and then a few shine out. There are those journalists out there who I admire. George Jonas was one of them for his opinion, for his turn of phrase, for his literacy. And um, I thought it was just fitting that uh, we can't let a show like Just Right, which is a, a show on philosophy and politics and literature and entertainment and uh, commentary, go by without speaking about the great George Jonas. Absolutely. Now, yeah, now here's one piece. Uh, um, I've edited it down uh, from Jonas. It's from the National Post, dated uh, just September 9th of uh, last year, 2015. And it has to do with the issue of immigration. Quoting Jonas, Arab or Hispanic, legal or illegal in North America or in Europe, the last 45 years have marked the emergence of a new kind of immigrant. He isn't new to history, but he's quite unlike the customary refugee, exile, asylum seeker, settler, or pioneer. The new immigrant demands an unearned share of the security and wealth of the developed countries. The new immigrant is an invader. Whatever their background, the new kind of immigrant doesn't simply compete with the host population for economic opportunity and space, which can be shared, but for identity, which cannot. Immigrants can and do create jobs, but can't create identities for the host population, only compete for the existing identity of a nation. This makes certain small matters, often dismissed as merely symbolic, permitting turbans on construction sites, say, or ceremonial daggers in schools, actually more important than ostensibly hard-nosed economic issues. A flag, a piece of fabric on a stick, is just a symbol. But a demonstration in America conducted under an American flag is materially different from one conducted under the flag of Mexico. The first is a country trying to share a problem. The second, a problem trying to share a country. Oh, wow. Powerful stuff here. Accepting refugees for humanitarian reasons is a Band-Aid solution. It's fine, just as Band-Aids are fine, but only a charlatan would offer a Band-Aid as a substitute for open-heart surgery. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau, who stood on his pitiful grandstand a couple of days ago saying he would invite in 25,000 Syrian asylum seekers if elected, more than doubling Prime Minister Stephen Harper's offer of 11,000, and why not? Liberal-style deficit financing should support any number but sidestepped expressing a commitment to bombing ISIL is the greatest of hypocrites, as that group is responsible for much of this crisis. Of course, bombing isn't progressive, and the people of the Prophet might get peeved at Canada. That's one powerful piece, I think, just a few sure, months before sure uh, George Jonas's death. Well, Here's he another had one. That, he always had that uh, power of, of the tongue there, you know, and, and of the pen. Yes. Yeah, I, didn't real, I didn't realize he was a poet when you, when you opened up with your introduction there. That was news to me. Oh, yes. He's published some poetry. And as a matter of fact, there's um, some YouTube videos online of uh, celebrities reading his uh, poems. No uh, kidding. Not necessarily my cup of tea, but um, still worth a listen, I think. Mm -hmm. Like I say, just for his ability to turn a phrase and his literacy and oh, vocabulary. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear from him in person shortly, even though he's no longer with us, but we'll mm -hmm. save that. Yeah. Now, here's another article of uh, George Jonas's from the National Post, Saturday, August 22nd, 2015. Again, not too long ago. Again, edited. Here's Jonas. A child educated in the early 1800s might have learned to think of aboriginals as savages. His grandchild in the early 1900s was more likely to think of aborigines as noble savages 
a child of the early 2000s, might come home from school thinking of Aborigines as archetypal environmental activists. Now, for good mm -hmm. illustration, I recommend the slightly out-of-date magazines in medical waiting rooms, leafing through the March 1991 issue of the Australian Teacher's Journal in a dentist office. For instance, one runs no risk of reading expressions like noble savages. What one risks is reading lines like, quote, Aboriginal science is a mode of knowledge which has evolved to allow human beings to fit into rather than outside of the ecology, unquote. Aboriginal science? Maybe it's a typo. It isn't. The writer, Dr. Michael J. Christie, explains that Western science placed humanity apart and above the natural world, while Aboriginal science strives for unity between human beings and the environment. He doesn't actually write, man is fish, fish is kangaroo, but comes close. What has made me so wary of schools is the stormtroopers of Nazism and commissars of communism I've known along with the priests and mullahs of theocracies I've known about, the dismal creatures surfacing from history's pestilential swamps were rarely literate. Most had formerly been formally educated, usually in the humanities. Many had, be, um, had been teachers or journalists before they became fanatics of some religion or ideology. The ideas they embraced were also spawned in the schools of their respective periods. Nazism spread through Germany's institutions of higher learning faster than it spread through its beer halls. Colleges and universities were hotbeds for, of communism, far more than unions or workers' clubs. University students and professors were among the first to cleanse independent thought and inquiry. These much-vaunted institutions of academic freedom were the pioneers of political correctness back then, just as they are today. Tyrannies... Amazing might entrust the day-to-day -day operation of their torture chambers to untutored louts, but those at the helm are often graduates of law schools, many teachers, certificates, and master's degrees. Many have teachers, certificates, and master's degrees. I'm not suggesting, says Jonas, that education causes people to become Nazified, only that education does nothing to prevent it. Usually it just puts a seal of good housekeeping on people's errors or crimes. Again, pretty hard-hitting stuff to read in a national paper in Canada in this day and age, right on the money. It expresses thoughts that you and I have expressed on this show before. And people should remember, he died at the age of 80. He was an immigrant from Hungary, I believe, and he has okay. lived through communism. He escaped communism in Europe, and he embraced the West. And perhaps that's why uh, you and I feel an affinity for him, because we're trying to push and promote the culture of the West as a value. And uh, so did Jonas. Now, I understand, Bob, you have a clip from Jonas from an event that you actually attended with him. Well, I not only attended, I had the honor of being the official registrar, administrator, and participant of an international conference held at the University of Western Ontario in London, back in London, Ontario, of course, back in July 2000, which was sponsored by the International Society of Individual Liberty. Attendees came from all over the world, and the guests included everyone from Terence Corcoran of the National Post, Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, uh, the first U.S. presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, John Hospers, author and former Ayn Rand compatriot, Barbara Brandon, um, Canadian lawyer and libertarian activist Karen Selleck, and many, many more. 
That's why we're able to bring you this original and exclusive commentary by George Jonas himself, who was among many of the speakers at that same conference. Delivered on July 26, 2000, George was speaking to the broader issue and concept of international courts. And here's just a sample of the wit and wisdom of George Jonas. No group deserved to be tried for its crimes more than the Nazis, but Nuremberg was still a victor's court. Worse, with the Soviets on the bench, it became a farce. Stalin's henchmen could no doubt recognize crimes against humanity when they saw them. But having the masters of the gulag prosecute the genocide of Auschwitz turned justice into a mockery. It was Al Capone sitting in judgment over Jack the Ripper. Now this is the problem with any war crime prosecutor who is independent of the UN Security Council. And this is the fatal flaw of the quote, strongest possible court, the Toronto Star, among others, was editorially urging Canada's government to hold out for. Simply put, if such a court wishes to protect the peace, it may have to make a mockery of justice. If it insists on justice, on the other hand, it may be obliged to wreck the peace. Now, Canada long favored an independent tribunal to be permanently set up in The Hague to prosecute not only future war crimes, but even internal acts of repression within a given country, excluding some that may be perpetrated by the Liberal government. <laughs> in practice, any international court is likely to be guided by the political mood of its times. It's almost guaranteed to prosecute identical conduct selectively i.e. in a Bosnia-type conflict, it'll go after suspected Serbian violators, but not Croatian ones, and vice, or vice versa. In a 1998 column, I predicted that such a court is likely to define conduct according to its own ideological agenda. An act of war crime, aggression, or genocide will be what the court says it is, I wrote. Much of the current impetus for the ICC comes from the, uh, a loose coalition of new world order forces, I wrote two years ago. The bandwagon is pushed by a kind of vaguely anti-Western feminist environmentalist axis of left-leaning liberals. If it persists, the ICC may well prosecute an anti-abortion statute or an oil spill at sea as a crime against humanity. Today, only two years later, an action that causes, quote, severe damage to the environment, unquote, is regarded as a war crime by the ICC. The National Post pointed that out in an editorial only this week. So is intentionally attacking non-military facilities such as power stations or factories, which needless to say makes war criminals of all NATO leaders who ordered the bombing of Yugoslavia during the Kosovo conflict last year. Now, much as one might enjoy seeing Tony Blair or Madeleine Albright in the prisoner's dock, <laughs> this, this is hair-raising nonsense. It's about as far-fetched as Alice in Wonderland, albeit much less amusing. It confirms the Roman poet Juvenal's observation who said that when looking at what people actually do, it becomes difficult to either write satire or not to write it. <laughs>
I, I'm Everett D. Jager, Cincinnati. I take issue with your using Al, uh, Al Capone and Jack the Ripper as bad guys. Uh. Al Capone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Al Capone <laughs> was a businessman, and he was in a successful business because of the law. Now, Jack the Ripper was different. He was a pure bad guy. But that's my thought. It is. I, I, I'm, I'm, I have been misled by the newspapers. It is. <laughs> George, like always, you've expressed yourself uh, with wit and uh, clarity. That being said, uh, um, there's still uh, an aspect that is not clear in my mind. If a situation like the Nazi was to occur in the future, what are you suggesting? A, that nothing would be done in order to try to prosecute the Nazi, or B, something else, and if something else, what? Well, it is, I, have a, I have a genuine dilemma when it comes to the Nazi example, partly because I am Jewish and partly because for me the Holocaust is not a television show. I have, I'm old enough to have been there, actually. And I would have uh, very little difficulty uh, 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 hanging the same people who were hanged at, at Nuremberg and some additional ones who were not hanged. I have a problem with the procedure though. And, and, that, and, the, and the procedure is, is the, 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 uh, has the same flaw that, that the International Criminal Court has. And I think that ultimately the world would be a better place if some people who need to be hanged were either not hanged or were hanged in a totally extra-legal fashion, uh, then if, if hanging them involved corrupting a, a, a system, procedurally corrupting a system of justice. And that is really the... You know, that's pretty powerful stuff, Bob, uh, George Jonas there at the uh, conference that you would, uh, with the registrar for. You know, when he uses terms like Nazism and communism and justice, um, he's speaking from experience. And, and people have to understand that we're losing our understanding of those terms. And in fact, as I mentioned on a few shows ago, sometimes people are outwardly saying, don't mention the war. You're talking yeah. about Hitler too much. How dare you compare somebody to Hitler or Nazism, you know? So it's, it's usually from people who don't understand what those words mean anymore. You know, I was listening to Fox News on the radio the other day when a talking head was asked why Donald Trump was more successful than Ted Cruz in getting support for similar policy platforms. His response was that the American people don't have the right vocabulary to understand Cruz, while they do for a Donald Trump. To put it another way, Donald Trump speaks their language. That's because Ted Cruz is using words that they don't understand anymore, understand anymore like freedom. You know, liberty, rights, justice. You know, I thought it was a good way to express what we have been talking about on this program for many years now, and that is a vocabulary of freedom. Let's take that uh, word first, freedom. I remember both when uh, you and I, Bob, and others having concerns around the naming of the political party you helped found called the Freedom Party of Ontario. I also remember when I first met you and the good folk at FPO, that there seemed to be confusion with people who had emigrated from old country Europe and that word, freedom. To many of them, it was synonymous with invasion 
as in the Russians freed the proletariat from the Tsars, or the Germans freed most of Europe from capitalism and communism. So when it comes to soliciting the support from such people, they were a little weary of the word freedom in Freedom Party. I to agree. Many, yeah. yeah, that happened to my mother. Used to say that about it, about it too when she heard I was going to be involved with some party called Freedom Party. And I said, "Well, if that's the problem, that's the solution. We have to redefine those terms so people understand which direction they can head in instead mm-hmm. of run away from." And of course, she was one of those people who emigrated from Europe at the oh, time. Oh yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Now, to many, the word freedom is associated with Franklin Delano Roosevelt's four freedoms, State of the Union dress, and became a rallying cry for the exact opposite. Socialism. Freedom of speech in that speech meant the freedom to protest on city streets with no regard for others or for the proper use of the streets. It meant that others must provide a platform for those who wish to speak. It's a perversion of freedom of speech. Freedom of worship has come to be a primary over more fundamental rights such as freedom of association or of property. Freedom from want, one of FDR's four freedoms, meant Make the rich pay so that the poor shall want for nothing. Not only that, you know, it's the nature of man to want. It's the nature of man to have desires. FDR's freedom from want is anti-man. What do you have when a man is given everything? You don't have a man anymore. Freedom from fear meant freedom from the natural consequences of an indolent life. Freedom from laziness, that's what it meant. So that you don't have to be afraid anymore. To dispel all misconceptions, by the way, of what Freedom Party meant by um, freedom, uh, the party had printed at the top of their stairwell leading up to their offices a quote from Ayn Rand, which read as follows, quote, freedom in a political context means freedom from government coercion. It does not mean freedom from the landlord or freedom from the employer or freedom from the laws of nature, which do not provide men with automatic prosperity. It means freedom from the coercive power of the state and nothing else, unquote. And I, rem- this- I remember that, but you know, it was tough trying to fit the whole province of Ontario into that hallway. <laughs> yeah, I also remember those stairs. It was a, it was a long <laughs> climb up those stairs. <laughs> yep. So you actually had time to read the whole quote a couple of times before you got to the top. You know, that- Memorized it. Yes, that is the definition of the word freedom that both you and I use on this program, by the way. It is used as a positive goal to achieve. achieve. At the very least, it's a neutral term in consequence. It, doesn't, uh, it does not um, tell what actions a person should take, just that he respect the, the rights of others. So in that sense, it's a, a negative, right, or a neutral term. And to allay the fears of those who might think that that definition sounds a little too libertarian, Rand qualifies her definition by saying that freedom is freedom from government coercion, not freedom from government. An essential component of freedom in a political context is the necessity for government. That's uh, that's embodied in that quote, I think. It's very uh, apropos. Another term which has fallen from the vocabulary of the American public is the word right or rights. You know, it's a common misconception that rights are God-given. Oh, perhaps because it mentions that in the uh, Declaration of Independence. Or that rights are a natural consequence of nature. Here's Rand again. Quote, A right is a moral principle defining and sanctioning a man's freedom of action in a social context. Unquote. That's all. 
From that definition, we see that a right applies only to an individual man and not to any group or collective. When we say rights, we mean individual rights. The notion of a collective right is nonsensical, since only individuals act. A group is nothing more than a collection of individuals who act. They're the ones who hold the rights. Rights are not God-given or given to us by nature. They are derived rationally by man for man. They only apply in a political or social sense. To a man alone against nature, the concept of rights is basically meaningless. You can't complain to the wolf pack surrounding you that you have a right not to be killed and eaten, while a man surrounded by a gang of thugs does have that right and can exercise that right and properly and legally defend himself or delegate that right to another agent, such as a police. Since man is the only animal which must choose his actions and not act on instinct, rights only apply to man and not to animals. No such thing as animal rights. Rights are a concept applied to men in the company of other men. That's it. Rights are a moral concept. They derive from a set of values, the highest among those values being his own life. In fact, all individual rights can be thought to be corollaries of a man's right to his life. The right to liberty means a man must be allowed to act as he sees fits to sustain his life. The right to property enables a man to keep the fruits of his right to liberty and thus allows him to live. No other has a right to take his property. No other man has a moral claim on his property. Rights in a political context are negative in that the only obligation they require from others is that they do nothing but respect that right. My right to life means uh, others may not act to take it away. Rights are perhaps the most misunderstood concept in the American vocabulary. There's a groundswell of support in the U.S. today for the so-called Second Amendment right to bear arms. Proponents of the Second Amendment do their cause harm by suggesting that they have the right to bear arms because it is an amendment to the Constitution of the United States, where in fact they have the right to bear arms as a natural corollary of the right to their life, regardless of whether such a right is enumerated in the Constitution or not. Since they have the right to their life, they have the right to take whatever means they deem fit to protect that life. To many, this means the right to have a weapon on their person. This is the basis for the rights to bear arms, not the Constitution. It's not because the founders of the Constitution thought that at some point it may become necessary to form militias to overthrow their government, which they probably did. It may have, you know, been worded in the Constitution that way, but right to self-defense does not have to be enumerated in the Constitution for it to have validity. For those who wish to still rely on that document for their argument, they should look more closely at the Ninth Amendment. I bet you don't even know what the Ninth Amendment is, Bob, to put you on the spot, sorry. Well, you're absolutely right, Robert, and you would win that bet because I don't know what the Ninth Amendment is. <laughs> okay. Okay, here's the Ninth Amendment to the Constitution. Quote, The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people. Unquote. Often overlooked, it makes plain that men have more rights than are enumerated in the Constitution, and therefore the Constitution is not and cannot be the fount or source of their rights. This was recognized by the founders 
It's not recognized today. Today, Americans think that the only rights they have are those enumerated in the Constitution. That's it. Well, look at number nine of the amendment there and uh, understand that, no, you've got a lot more rights than are in the Constitution for a, a, a lot more reasons, too, than <laughs> that being in the Constitution. You know, those are just two words. Often misunderstood and often misused, freedom and rights, they don't apply just to Americans, but to everyone of all nations, since freedom in a political context is a universal concept, and rights apply to all men. You know, and if more people understood terms like freedom and rights and expanded their vocabulary, enhanced their vocabulary, then I think Ted Cruz just might stand a better chance against a man like Donald Trump. Any thoughts, uh, further thoughts on that, Bob? Not really, Robert. Well said and well summarized. I was very moved by the closing comments made by George Jonas in our last audio bite. Even given his incredibly personal and justifiable feelings against the Nazis, he nevertheless believed the world would be a better place if we didn't deal with them by changing any procedural laws or corrupting our system of justice. That was what was important to him. And the procedural corruption of a system of justice is exactly what is happening at the root of our next topic of discussion, namely all of the accusations and now a criminal charge made against comedian actor Bill Cosby. It's a story we've been following since it first broke back in 2014, and everything I predicted then has gone exactly as my script suggested. And our telling of the Cosby story is a very different one from what you've been hearing in the popular media. Our next chapter in the Cosby saga continues. The council has deliberated. It is our decision that you lied. We told you the truth. Why don't you girls knock off all this Gestapo stuff and try to be a little friendly? You, what have you to say? Well, I'm just fine, ma'am. How's all your folks? You will die, but first you will scream for mercy when we force the truth from you. Take them away. How you went astray. Tell me everything. I won a beauty contest here in Iowa. I thought I'd try my luck in New York. It wasn't like Iowa at all. And then I met a theatrical agent. Gosh, that sure is different than the sarsaparilla we have back home. Well, we like a little more sass in our parilla. Now, Mary, I didn't get you up here to dish out a lot of hooey. Oh, that's all right. I already had lunch. You see, there's a social side to this business we call show. Now, uh, let me see your gams. What? I was humiliated, though oddly excited. Well, he told me he could spot fresh talent and sent me to see a colleague of his named Dutch Monaghan. It turned out to be a wild party. Here, dunk your whiskers in this, sister. You guys sure like your sarsaparilla in this town. Get her. Shut your trap or I'll bite your ears off. 
Keep your hands off me, you big palooka. That was my first exposure to New York intellectuals. You're listening to Just Right on WBCQ 5.110 megahertz, where we put a little more sass in our perilla. <laughs> now, that was Carrie Fisher in an Amazon Women on the, of the Moon skit. Uh, again, obviously, about Bill Cosby. Uh, now that Bill Cosby has been charged, I wanted to go on record early to affirm that I'm still, quote, one of the holdouts one of those diminishing number of people who are willing or principled enough to say innocent until proven guilty, and much more. The criminal charges filed against Cosby this past December 30th were declared to be a victory for all women by our own local radical feminist, Megan Walker in London, Ontario, and by feminist Gloria Allred, who is leading the charge against Bill Cosby in the United States, to assert that the guilt or innocence of one single man can represent some kind of victory for women everywhere, tells us more about those making the assertion than it does about the subject of the assertion. It means that those who are making such assertions are less concerned with the purported guilt or innocence of Bill Cosby and more with some other goal. What's more disturbing than their goal is the growing support that virtually all of the media have given it, even as it should be self-evident that what they're after, the feminists and, and, and the people charging Cosby, is unjust. It's unconscionable in the extreme, Robert. But still, most people don't get it because they don't know the facts. And they don't know the facts because most of the media is not reporting them. That would maybe take a little, ex- a little bit of extra effort and work like I took. The media only repeats unproven and unsubstantiated allegations on the premise that if repeated often enough and by, uh, you know, by enough people and louder enough, uh, you can take the guilt from the court of public opinion and transfer it magically to the court of law. So I have a few points I want to summarize in all of this, and of course we have a background on all of this online where we will give uh, links to past shows that we've done on this very issue, which will explain to many of our listeners who've never heard of this before why I'm drawing these conclusions, and here are some of them. Fourteen points, Robert, just to get me started here. Number one, the only the good news about the December 30th criminal charges against Cosby is that the issue is now finally moving out of the court of public opinion and into a court of law. And, of course, there's no defense in the former, but there is in the latter. Number two, the only issue facing Cosby and his accusers is a single issue. That issue is consent. And, you know, the introduction of wine and alcohol and quaaludes or whatever are critical to the complainant's allegations, and it is on this point that any case is going to probably be decided. Number three, the statute of limitations continues to be a distraction, but in the current case was cited as the reason for the timing of the charges against Cosby because Constad only had about a month left to go before that time ran out. Now, of course, number four, The real architect of the seeming collective attack against Cosby is radical extremist feminist lawyer Gloria Allred, who represents 29 of the women she recruited to her cause. Her political agenda is a feminist one. To have the concept of consent turned on its ear, to introduce and turn into law the obscene and morally reprehensible concept of what I think is an anti-concept, referred to as affirmative consent, where a verbal... Yes, a verbal yes, and nothing else, is the only acceptable evidence of consent existing, irrespective of many other considerations. Number five, 
The second part of this political agenda is to make it possible for women to slander and libel men by accusing them of sexual crimes in a court of public opinion without any evidence of, or fear of liability for making false claims. Number six, Cosby's wealth and active sex life made him a perfect target for feminists and, yes, dare I say it, gold diggers. Number seven, the issue of Andrea Constad herself. Now, if her case is going to be based on what was in the released depositions, as we have been told it will likely be, then having read those depositions, I don't see any way to convict Cosby of anything. The issue of consent boils down to he said, she said. With the heavy weight of that argument, I think, being on Cosby's side, given that two of Constan's own female deposition witnesses on that issue of consent fully said that they did consent to drinking alcohol and taking the pills. Anyway, you look at it, too, there was no intercourse in the alleged rape attack. This, this is not in dispute. Constant had previously settled with Cosby out of court and had accepted a cash settlement and agreed to keep the details of that settlement confidential. And just to top off the whole affair, she continued to go out with Cosby for three years following the incident in contention. All of this was in the deposition that was released, and I read many parts of that deposition verbatim on our last show when we discussed this issue. To this day, I still haven't heard any of the major media looking at anything beyond the allegations. Uh, number eight, there is no new evidence that has been made known to any member of the public or media. In fact, all of the allegations are ancient in the extreme, frivolous at their lightest, and vexatious at their worst. Number nine, Gloria Allred and our own local feminazi, Megan Walker in London, are spreading the message, I think, that women are really stupid and irresponsible. They're incapable of consent. Cosby was accused, according to many reports, of trying to persuade Constant to use wine and quaaludes, or whatever the drugs were. A quote from the prosecutor, Mr. Cosby made two sexual advances against her that were rejected. On the evening in question, Mr. Cosby urged her to take pills that he provided to her and to drink wine, the effect of which rendered her unable to move. Don't know how many people get rendered unable to move because someone's urging them to do something, but there you have it. Number 10, the drug issue, as with the alcohol, are non-starters. Robert, you can't have your cake and, or eat your cake and have it too. You can't take your drugs and alcohol under the right of consent only to excuse yourself from any responsibility for your actions after you've voluntarily taken such substances. While courts of law insist that drunk drivers, even though drunk and legally incapable of consent, are nevertheless responsible for the consequences of their actions, women are being told the opposite. Even if they voluntarily and consensually take these drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, doesn't matter, after under the influence, apparently they're no longer capable of consent and they are not responsible for anything they might do or participate with. Which brings us, of course, to issue number 11, the issue of unconsciousness. Of course, if you're unconscious, you can't consent. But being too drunk or too stoned to act rationally is a consequence of an action previously taken and not the cause. And whatever happened during their claimed periods of unconsciousness, one thing is not in dispute. Cosby did not have intercourse with them. That was in the deposition, and many women testified the same kind of thing. And, of course, when one's unconscious, you can't really witness anything. And one of the complainants found herself in bed with someone other than Cosby one morning, but is on the Cosby list of accusers because she took the drugs and drinks at his party. So, come on, people.
Then number 12, the issue of Cosby's admissions. Admissions that concur with the stories told by the alleders in every respect except the issue of consent. Now, as I pointed out the last time I brought this up, I see this as evidence of a man who has not been lying or there would have been too many discrepancies in all the various allegations and details. Yet there are only a few, and most of them coming from the accuser's side of the story, uh, uh, other than the issue of consent, of course. And finally, number 13, or not and finally, still, still to go, the issue of 30, 40, 50, 60, or whatever women can't be all wrong argument. Well, yes, they can. Where most people saw this argument as evidence of Cosby's probable guilt, I saw it as evidence of something else going on, mainly a planned conspiracy, hello, one that was verbally enunciated and announced by the people who are planning it, most notably Gloria Allred. And number 14, my own conclusions about the credibility of the complainant's stories are based solely on those stories themselves. I'm not trying to draw anything else into it, just what they said themselves. I've got no personal stake in this. But we all have a collective stake in this issue and to see to it that justice prevails, the principle of justice. And that's what's under attack by Gloria Allred and her left-wing alliance of feminists and politicians. And by the women I think she's currently using as pawns in her own political agenda. Megan Walker, locally here, was asked about the um, Bill Cosby charges on Andy Utman's show as the event was unfolding live on December 30th. And she responded, and I quote, I'm absolutely thrilled because one of the things that's so important is that women feel believed. It takes a lot of courage for them to come forward and tell their stories. When we had our protest outside Budweiser Gardens, there were a lot of survivors there, a lot of women who had made allegations of rape against certain individuals in the past and hadn't been believed. It was very disheartening for them to listen to audiences say, this man is not capable of this, and, quote, these women are only after his money, and, quote, he's innocent until proven guilty. And for a long time, there's been a lot of backlash by the public against these women. I think the charges are great news for women, she says. I tell girls all the time that your value does not come to you by the attention paid to you by boys and men. Those boys and men that pressure you are, quite frankly, misogynist assholes, and they have no value. <laughs> Her words, Robert. Pornography, she says, is a huge problem. We have 24 hours a day access to online pornography. In pornography, girls and women are raped viciously and violently, and that when these girls and women in pornography say no, the message that boys and men get is that they want to be done harder and longer. So we're seeing the impact of that, says Walker. Canada's prostitution legislation, she says, is intended to shift the culture for future generations so, quote, that they can accept that prostitution is men's violence against women. And she says we're starting to see a shift in our culture that women are going to be believed. And as a culture, we're starting to realize that fewer than 10% of women ever report a rape because they fear a backlash and the length of time for a process to complete, end quote. And there's that hatred of due process again. All this and Bill Cosby too. Now Andy Udman and Megan Walker then called upon people, uh, people like me, Robert, to call into the show and, quote, eat a little humble pie. I hope he doesn't mind if that humble pie ends up being tossed right back at him. Also commenting on this was Toronto criminal defense lawyer Ari Goldstein, who said, quote, 
all 29 women willing to go to court who can testify to a very, very specific modus operandi of Bill Cosby that would match what Ms. Constant's story is would make something very powerful for a prosecutor. It can take the evidence of one woman, and if the steps are the same, the same giving of the drugs, the same grooming, the same having at the house, the same words, the same kind of fondling and actions while someone is passed out, that really can take the Crown's case in a much stronger direction, he says. Well, with that in mind, let's take a break for a smile, or, or should I say a frown, to envisage a chilling experience of what the dating world might be like if women who truly never lie could publicly share all of their allegations and stories about all those lying men they've dated. Be right there! Hi. Hi, I'm Jerry Stone. Hi, Jerry. Nice Hi. meeting you. I'm sorry, I'm running a little bit late. Oh, don't worry about it. You look nice. Thank you. This is a great apartment. Thanks. Uh, I hope you like sushi. I made reservations at uh, Tokyo Rose on Columbus. Great. I hear it's terrific. Normally there's a waiting list, but I know the maitre d'. You know, I gotta tell you, I never go on blind dates, but uh, I just have a feeling that this might be special. Jerry, before we leave, do me one small favor, will you? Sure, what? Would you mind showing me a credit card and a valid driver's license? You're kidding, why? Well, I'd like to run a couple compatibility check. What, what the heck is that? You know, Jerry, it's tough being a single girl in the big city. You meet all kinds of phonies and creeps. That's where this machine comes in handy. I just enter your ID and the central computer will tell me about your background. I don't want a bank loan. I just want to take you out. <laughs> I know, but I'd feel better running a check. Two IDs, please. You're serious? Well, just take a minute. This is ridiculous. But, uh... There's a... Uh... 316? Cute picture. MasterCard. <laughs> I don't know how I ever got along without one of these. Changed my life. Feel the same way about my VCR. Oh, hey. Right now I'm taping Sophie's Choice with Meryl Streep. I love Meryl Streep. Oh, I am so into her. <sighs> Here it comes now. Jeez. We are very thorough. Yeah. <laughs> Great. What? What? <laughs> mm. What do you got there? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, what's, what's, uh-oh? Jerry. Does the name Debbie Rothenberg mean anything to you? Debbie Rothenberg, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I think I went out with her once or twice. You had sex with her on the second date, and then you never called her again. I hate when guys do that. It says all that? Does the phrase, you're not only beautiful, but you're someone I feel I can open up to mean anything to you? 
I'm not surprised. Uh, You've used that line in your last 16 look, dates. This is ridiculous. Debbie, uh, Karen, I think that we have something very special here. You're not like I the other women in the city. See what I mean? And Jerry, I could never get serious about someone who's selfish in bed. Who is selfish in bed? Well, how would you describe a man who satisfies his own needs and rolls over and goes to sleep? I never did that in my life. Eleven times. You want names and dates? No, no, I do not. Look, hey, hold. Anyway, that is just a small fraction of the hundreds of times I've been intimate with women. We're exaggerating a little, aren't we, Jerry? I mean, the record only shows 21 sexual intimacies. Look, look, well, hey, well, this doesn't jive with my figures, okay, sweetie? Jerry, the statistics don't paint the picture of a mature man. Twelve times you ignored your date at a party to flirt with a more attractive woman. 169 times you feigned interest when a woman was talking about her career. And 17 occasions you lied to women telling them you were really into sushi and Meryl Street movies. Make that 18 times. Where, 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 where do they get these figures? As you can see, Jerry, it would be pointless for you and I to go out. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm going to get one of those machines and see how well you come off, okay? Good night, Jerry. It's early yet. Maybe you can still get lucky in a bar. Like you did last Thursday. Hello, Beverly? Yeah? Hi. This is Jerry Stone. We met the other night at Dave's party. Oh! Hi! Hi! Listen, I know it's last minute, but I want to ask, are you free tonight? Uh, yeah. You are? Oh, great. Listen, um, I can pick you up in ten minutes. <laughs> sure, okay. Oh, oh, Jerry, um... Yeah? Could you bring a major credit card and a valid driver's license? Jerry? 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 But just suppose that men had a dating machine like the one Jerry was registered on. Hey, wait a minute, they actually do. It's called the Internet. <laughs> and you can go and find things like that online now. And it might read something like what I had just brought to my attention online at www.realcoolvideos.com. And then they do what we've done on the show in the past before, Robert, and that's uh, going through a list of some of the accusers to see if indeed it is true that there are no liars among them. And here is their partial list that was presented to me. Barbara Bowman uh, apparently says she was raped by Bill Cosby um, over years of going to his hotel rooms. And she says she was uh, flew around the country to be repeatedly drugged and raped by Cosby because she was brainwashed. Now, if you can buy that story in, in this kind of a scenario, then I can sell you a bridge in Brooklyn. Then there's uh, Shalan Lasha, who accused Bill Cosby of sexually assaulting her in 1986. And she has been arrested for crimes including false reporting, prostitution, theft, 
assault, disorderly conduct, fighting, trespassing, and they, and they add, damn, that's a long rap sheet. Then there's Janice Dickinson, who claims Cosby was drugged and raped her in 1982. Her 2002 autobiography has a different account, however, where she writes that Bill Cosby shut her out of his own or out of his hotel room and she said she was forced to lie by her publishers Harper Collins a claim they deny so now she's dragging in even Harper Collins as being many of the liars that are on the other side of the issue and Dickinson's former fiance who apparently is Sylvester Stallone accused Dickinson of being a liar and was quoted as saying quote Janice Dickinson is a publicity hound who will say anything to get attention end quote then there's Louisa Moritz, accused, of Cosby of, accused Cosby of sexually assaulting her in, in a Manhattan dressing room on The Tonight Show in 1971. The problem, however, they write, is that records show that Moritz never appeared on that Tonight Show episode with Cosby, and she later admitted she wasn't actually sure what year the alleged assault occurred. And finally, this is the key one. There's the Andrew Lawton Show here in London, Ontario, where he had an interview with Gloria Allred on this past, uh, on January the 6th. And he asked her in that interview, uh, or he posed this question, he says, despite the Vanity Fair article, he says, there are still people who respond to this who say that it is tantamount to a celebrity witch hunt. And people still, you hear this all the time, well, why didn't they come forward sooner? And whatnot. How do you respond, he asked Allred. And she responded this way. She said, there are people who won't believe 50 women. Why would they believe one? So they've really been courageous coming forward, and she commends them for that. Then she said, because after all, this is a case where Andrea Konstad, the victim, alleges that she did not consent. Mr. Cosby has admitted that he was with her. He's admitted sexual conduct. He's admitted giving her some pills. But he's saying she consented to sexual touching. Constad's position is whatever she was given, it incapacitated her in a sense, almost paralyzed her so that she was not able to say yes or no. If you can't say yes or no because you're under the influence of a substance, then there is no consent. There is no yes, <laughs> especially verbally, which is what she really means. Because there's also, of course, not a no. But what they're talking about in terms of affirmative consent is when you say yes in the verbal sense. So this is a very important issue, and it's going to have to be flushed out in a court of law, she says. And then she claims, I have the first lawsuit that was filed against Mr. Cosby in 2014. I think that's the first one filed against him after the Andrea Constead lawsuit was filed and was settled confidentially. This is, isn't that interesting? A confidentiality that was broken with the release of the deposition of that settled suit, which tells me you can't even trust the people who break these confidentialities. And then there was a bunch of other side issues that she got into with a case with Judy Huff, uh, none of you know, which apparently another Cosby accuser. But here's what's very interesting uh, in terms of what Allred said. She said, quote, This is going to be fought hard by the defense. Mr. Cosby has a net worth of $400 million and has hired a law firm to fight my case and several others that has several, several, 700 attorneys. He is filing lawsuits against many of the women who have filed lawsuits against him. Now, Robert, how many of these lawsuits have you heard about in the news? None. <laughs> right, exactly. In the case of Beverly Johnson, a supermodel, 
who has never filed a lawsuit against him and who went out publicly and said she forgives him for what, what he did, that apparently did not have a major impact on him because he just went ahead and filed a lawsuit claiming that she had defamed him. Like, no kidding, quite properly and justly so. Anyone who can't see that can't be trusted or believed. Well, it sort of sounds like defamation to me. If I, w- if I went out and said, Bob, I forgive you for what you did when you murdered that person, you know, that's defamation. Hello? You know, now she's going to have to hire lawyers to defend herself. So this has been a very complicated situation, what's going on now, but I feel that women have been empowered in a way that they never have before. Uh, in exactly what way, they never say. But how can she say that after having just said she's leaving them out there hanging in, in front of a court of law? And then she says, they took the risk, and they're going to stand up to money and power, and they're going to be as brave as possible under the circumstances, and we'll see. So it sure sounds to me right now that Allred is about to abandon and leave to their own devices the women she recruited to her cause. Boy, talk about using women. Now... On the basis of what is known at this time, I would predict that Cosby would not only be found not guilty of the allegation against him, but will likely also win most of the lawsuits he himself has launched against a number of the women making public allegations against him, because there has been no proof of these allegations in the proper forums and courts. Now, just to, to, to close off here... There's nothing wrong with making judgment in public so long as you're willing to be judged. You know, we know we all know that 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 old famous saying, judge not lest ye be judged. In the Cosby case, there's a current vacuum of judgment. On the one side are those who refuse to judge one way or another in a permanent state of agnosticism based on the you can never know who's right philosophy while ignoring what they can and do know. While on the other side, we have a group of feminists and accusers who are loudly and openly casting judgments against Bill Cosby in public, but are unwilling to be judged, and worse, and here, this is important, they're looking for legal protection from being judged on the grounds, and, and this is for real, that they are omnipotent and morally perfect, never lying women. What is right is the direction in which we plan to continue our journey again next week. Join us then. And between now and then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Hey, Leonard. Yeah. I haven't had sex in a year. <laughs> Where are you going with this, Ross? <laughs> Don't flatter yourself, dude. <laughs> I want to go out and meet a woman. So go. Well, I need a wingman. I don't want to come off like a lonely loser. <laughs> and you think my presence will help with that? <laughs> well, I do. Uh, next to you, I look like a catch. <laughs> Not going out tonight, Rosh. All right. Would you mind if I went to your room and downloaded some Asian pornography? <laughs> Very much. <laughs> Doesn't have to be Asian. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll meet a girl someday. No, I won't. Yes, you will, and she'll be beautiful, and kind, and sexy, and funny, and everything you ever wanted in a woman. But you really think so? I do. You'll fall hopelessly in love and give her your heart. And she'll take it and grind it into pathetic little pieces. <laughs> we will have sex first, right? <laughs>
Jerry? 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 Jerry?